Okay, so tonight, uh, really, I'm going to double dip as far as uh, these things are concerned. Uh, double dip in the sense that uh, one of my base horah responsibilities is every once in a while to uh, to write an article, to write a halachic article. It's one of those things which is passed out uh, around Shabbos, uh, you know, for Shabbos. So uh, I think it's my turn to go ahead and, uh, and write an article. And uh, the one who organized it suggested a particular topic. And I said, okay, I think I could, uh, you know, I could write on that, that topic. So I decided that I was going to use today to do some of that research towards the topic. And then, uh, you know, we'll share tonight uh, what I've uh, come up with so far in terms of just organizing the, uh, the material. So the overall topic uh, really relates to... Um, uh, Amir Lenachri, what you're what you're allowed or not allowed to have a non-Jew do for you in your house on Shabbos. So it's going to be specifically Shabbos uh, focused in terms of not uh, uh, in other times where we've talked about Shabbos, we've talked about it very much in the context of uh, an employer and an employee in what employees may be allowed to do in the business setting. In the in the business setting, here we're going to focus more of our attention on what happens. Many people end up having uh, 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 caregivers or whatnot who are in the house. They may be living caregivers. They may be people who come 12 hours a day, six hours a day, a couple of hours a day. Um, and the question is, what are you What are you allowed to have that non-Jew do? What is the Gentile allowed to do in the home? What is he not allowed to do? So by and large, what we're going to discuss are the broad principles which are related to that. And then we'll have, uh, you know, at the end, we'll have one specific example, which we will explore, which has some interesting uh, components to it. Okay, so what we want is over here. Okay, so we begin with uh, with the topic uh, in general uh, about what uh, is allowed to be done and what it, what is not. So without going through the whole lengthy Shulchan Aruch, uh, in this first source, we have a lot of sources to, to get through. So the first thing is, is that Chazal, there's such a thing called Amir al-Nachri. So Amir al-Nachri is the prohibition to instruct a non-Jew to go ahead and do malach on your behalf. So everybody knows that a Jew isn't allowed to do malach on Shabbos, but is it permitted to ask a non-Jew to do malach or not? So the, the answer is that it's not. And the first question is, is this something which is a Dorais or is it something which is a Dorabanan? So here the Mishabura says, this is in Simon Reshmem Gimel Sivkat and Hay. So he explains that to go ahead and to ask a non Jew to do Malach on your behalf is Aser. And the assumption is, is because he's doing it, Bishlichuso Shal Yisrael. That's the Dibar Maskel here. So he says, so the Mishabura says, Vizel Iser Gamar. And asking a non Jew to do Malacha for you on Shabbos. Is absolutely aser. Kemosh amru bekama makomos, like Chazal say in many places, damira leeni Yehudi shvus. That asking a non-Jew to do malacha for you is prohibited. Shvus means inisadrabanan. Vasmuchu akra, and Chazal when they go ahead and they point to this particular iser, this prohibition. So although it's drabanan, nonetheless they they connect it with a pasuk. And connecting with a pasuk serves as a good way to, as, as a good reminder of the existence of this prohibition. What pasuk do they quote, do they associate it with? 
says any malacha may not be done on Shabbos. Now, the Mishabura points out, based on the earlier postgame, the Pasuk doesn't simply say, you may not do work, but it speaks more, I don't know exactly how you would put this in terms of English grammar, but rather than saying, you may not do work, it says that work may not be done. So what do we gain, what does the Pasuk gain by saying work may not be done, rather than speaking directly saying you may not do work? Lerames, so this is a hint. That even if you have somebody else do the work for you, you have an agent to do the work for you, so even that is something which is going to be prohibited. So that is the, uh, the source for this, uh, th- this particular sir. And the Sharat Sion goes ahead and he points out, and he says, initially he quotes some sources, but he says, I base Yosef, sorry that this is over here. He says, I base Yosef, the self Simon Reshmam Dal. So if you look at the base Yosef, Mashakasav Mechilta Bishem Asmag, this Sefuke Mesafka law. So some of the Rishonim are of the opinion that this drasha, which tells us that a non-Jew isn't allowed to do malacha, some people, some Rishonim maintain that this is a regular drasha, meaning that it's a daraisa. There will be an iser daraisa to go ahead and ask a non-Jew to do malacha on your behalf. And you look in the Levush. But the overwhelming majority of poskim maintain that asking a non-Jew to do malacha for you on Shabbos is only an iser drabanan, and that's going to be highly significant in the background of many of the halachas, because once we say that the iser of speaking to a non of instructing a non-Jew to do malacha is only iser midrabanan in the first place, anyways. So that's going to allow leniencies by somebody who is ill or when there's a great need to go ahead and, at, and for a malacha to get done, and certainly when the malacha that you're asking to be performed is itself only an isa drabanan, so then it's what we call shvus to shvus. It's a drabanan on a drabanan, drabanan squared, perhaps. And the fact that it's drabanan squared, that uh, and then when it's b'mako mitzvah, when, you need to, when it needs to be uh, instructed for the sake of a mitzvah, to prevent a loss, for the sake of somebody who's ill, so that's going to allow for many leniencies, the fact that at the very uh, basic level, the very fundamental level, we pask in that, asking non-Jew to do malacha, is something which is rabbinically prohibited rather than biblically prohibited. Okay. So that is point number one. Now, what we need to uh, explore is, uh, let's say a non-Jew went ahead and did malacha for you. So granted, I'm not allowed to go ahead and instruct a non-Jew to do malacha. Let's say I did so, and the non-Jew, the Gentile, did that malacha. So now, am I allowed to benefit from that malacha or not? Or even, let's say I didn't give any instructions to the Gentile whatsoever. The Gentile on his own decided to go ahead and do this malacha for me. You have somebody who is a, you know, a, a caregiver in the home. You wake up Shabbos morning and they say, I know it's a, your Shabbos and I went and I, had, and I made you a treat. I made you scrambled eggs. Putting aside Bishalakim or anything related to that. But he went ahead and he made you scrambled eggs. So obviously to make scrambled eggs, he had to turn on the fire 
is an iser. He had to go ahead and cook food, which is an iser. So am I allowed to eat those scrambled eggs? I didn't tell him to do it, but he did it for me. Am I allowed to use it? So now in source three, so we find out, and we'll just go ahead and update this for the 21st century. The, you, come, you come downstairs, the non-Jew says, listen, the, uh, the, the, uh, the room was so dark, I went ahead and I turned on the light for you. So you didn't ask him to do it. On his own, he decided to go ahead and turn on the light switch for you. So nobody is allowed to benefit from that. So let's say there was a room that you weren't planning on using at all. It's a you know one of the uh, you know a bedroom that uh, an extra bedroom that uh, that uh, that you don't use regularly, and he went ahead and said, oh, I figured that you may want to go in there and grab some of the books off of the bookshelves. So therefore, I went ahead and I turned on the light for you. So you're not allowed to benefit from that light. You can't go into that room now that the light is on. When if the light was off, you wouldn't have been able to go in there because it was dark. And not only if he did it specifically for you. But even in the event, he went ahead and turned on the light uh, for Ruvain. So I said, Mr. Ruvain, I think that you, I thought that you would appreciate being able to go in there and get some of your, uh, your books. Even Shimon isn't allowed to go in there. Because once we say that the Malacha was done for the benefit of the Jew, so it's going to be Asa for everybody. And says the Ramah, Haga, Vein Chiluk Bazet. And as far as this matter is concerned, this iser of getting benefit from the malacha that the Gentile did, it doesn't make a difference, ben katsov lo schar or lo katsov. Whether you agree to pay him some amount of money or not, it's irrelevant. O shaso bekablonus o beskirus, whether you hired him as a kablon, as an independent contractor, or whether you're paying him an hourly wage, doesn't, none of that is going to make a difference as far as benefiting from the malacha that the Gentile did for a Jew. Dehovah, you saw nenem and malacha asma b'shabes, because whenever it, it, um, it would involve a Jew benefiting from this malacha, which was done on Shabbos, asa b'cholinyan, it's absolutely aser for anybody to go ahead and benefit from that. So that is point number one. That, so we find out that not only is uh, is the uh, instructing the non-Jew to do the malacha in the first place, Aser, but even if the non-Jew did the malacha, you're not allowed to benefit from it. But now comes an important qualification to that, and this is where things, some of the complexity of these halachas begins to arise, and that is, aval imid liko litzarcho. We'll put aside the second half of that. Let's say it happened to be that the somebody forgot to turn on the light in the bathroom. So it's a it's a bathroom which is in the middle of the house, so there's no windows, and they forgot to turn on the light. So you're going to make do without using that bathroom on Shabbos because there's no light on and you can't uh, you can't see. The non-Jew uh, a caretaker uh, needed to use the bathroom, and he walks in and he turns on the light because he wanted the light to, for himself to be able to use the uh, to use the bathroom. And then he goes ahead and he, he leaves it on. And he says to you, listen, I, I realized that the light was off in the bathroom. I turned it on for myself and I just left it on. So now that he left it on, could you use that bathroom? So if he turned on light, we learned in the first part of this sif, if he turned on the light specifically so that you should be able to use the bathroom, then it's absolutely awesome. But here we're talking about where he turned on the light because he wanted to use the bathroom. And then he just left the light on for you. So the Shulchan Aruch says, 
even if we're not talking about a where you need the light on for, you know, because otherwise it would be potentially dangerous. Just stop. He left the light on for you. Then it's going to be permitted for a Jew to go ahead and use the light which was left on by the non-Jew. I, I think the I think the Afiluain Bosakana really goes on the part. Oh, well, that you the yeah, 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 you're you're right. Thank you, thank you. So he says that uh, uh, which which I really want to skip. But he says that once he turned on the light for himself. Thank you, Art. Once he turned on the light for himself, and then he just leaves it on for you. So then everybody's allowed to benefit from that light. So here, the key distinction which Shulchan Aruch is drawing over here is that if the non-Jew does the malacha initially for the sake of a Jew, then it's also to benefit from it. If he does it for himself or another non-Jew, and then just leaves the light on, then it's okay for a Jew to go ahead and get benefit from it. So we'll see that the, in in, in um, uh so this is something which is going to be a very important distinction to, uh, to keep in mind, that difference as to whether the malacha was done initially for the sake of a Jew, or whether the malacha was done for the sake of a non-Jew. Now, uh, what is the Isser? So why did, why is it Asr to go ahead and benefit from the Malachim was done? Why don't we say it's Asr to go ahead and instruct him to do it? But if it was done, it was done. So why can't you get benefit from the Malachim that the Gentile did for the sake of a Jew? So explains the Mishabura, Reishayin Vav, Sif Katan Beis. So Mishabura says, Midrabanan. So the prohibition, the restriction against getting benefit from this malacha is rabbinic. And what's the basis? Because if we allow you to get benefit from the malacha that the, that the Gentile did, so then you'll have this terrible Yitzhahara to tell him to do the malacha. So in order to keep us far away from ever instructing a non-Jew to do malacha in the first place, so Chazal added an additional restriction or additional gezerah, an additional decree, and that is that in the event the malacha was done, you can't even get benefit from it. So if Chazal say you're not even allowed to get benefit from it, so then I have no incentive to instruct him to do the malacha because I'm not going to be able to use it anyways. So therefore, just to put an added layer of protection to make sure that we don't try and sneak around and instruct the non-Jew to do malacha, so therefore they assert benefit as well. Okay, and then, um, okay, now we say, in another place, Shulchan Aruch says, this is in Reish Nun Gimel, this is, I think it's Sif Hei, I, uh, I didn't include that, but I think it's Sif Hei. So Shulchan Aruch says, All of these things, which are usher to instruct a non-Jew to do on Shabbos, and let's just look quickly at the Mishabur on that in Sadi Dalit, here in Source 6, Pull it up on the page a little. So he says, Hainu, when we talk about that which is asa for the non-Jew to do, that means, Not only is it prohibited to instruct the non-Jew to do an isudaraisa on Shabbos, but one isn't allowed, even under normal circumstances, one isn't even allowed to instruct the non-Jew to do something which is asa midrabanan. So all of these things, which you're, uh, it's usher to do, it's usher to instruct the, the Gentile. Now back into Shulchan Aruch. So all those things which you're not allowed to do, whether in Nisad or in Nisad you're not allowed to instruct the non-Jew to do it either. So therefore, 
you cannot instruct the non-Jew, he's saying that, listen, the uh, the pot of uh, chicken soup from last night has cooled down. Do you mind putting it on the uh, the uh, the fire, put it on the, uh, the the hot plate or whatever, in order to heat it up? So to do that is Aser. And Vim Aser came, and in the event that you ask the non-Jew to go ahead and heat up the chicken soup, and he did so, then an amazing chumrah over here says Shulchan Aruch, Vim Asa Kain, Asalachlan, Afilutzonin. So you're not allowed to enjoy that soup. And not only are you allowed, allowed to enjoy that soup while it's hot, you're not even allowed to enjoy the soup when it gets back to room temperature. So that soup now that the that the non-Jew heated up for you on Shabbos, so that's going to be Asr for you for the duration of Shabbos, regardless of whether it's warm, it's hot, or whether it's cold. Either way, it's going to be Asr. So why are you why why is it Asr once it cools down again? Once it cools down, it should be it should be no worse than when you took it out of the fridge in the first place. When we took it out of the fridge, I could have had cold soup. So why, when he heated it up, and now seemingly you undo the malacha by allowing it to uh, to cool down again? So why shouldn't I be able to go ahead and get a benefit from it at that point? So explains the mishabura reishnon gimel simen sifkatan tzadivav. So after lo yehudi. So even though once you allow it to cool down, you're no longer benefiting from his malacha. Nonetheless, Chazal penalize you for having instructed the non-Jew to heat up the soup in the first place. That we make you wait until after Shabbos, the amount of time it takes to heat up the soup. So if it takes, uh, on the stovetop, it takes 10 minutes to go ahead and heat up the soup. So after you made Havdalah, you have to wait another 10 minutes before you can have any of that soup. So it's not immediately after Havdalah, but what it's called Kedesh the amount of time it would take to do it. Why? Because being that the non-Jew heated up this soup in the first place based on your instruction. So being that he did this malacha based on your instruction, we don't want you to go ahead and, and uh, get any benefit from it whatsoever. And we're going to answer it as if it still remains hot all the way until after Shabbos. Now, here comes an important uh, emphasis of the, uh, the Mishabur over here. Mishabur now says that this restriction, though, this penalty that Chazal imposed, that you're not allowed to benefit from the malach of the, of the non-Jew at all, even after the soup has already cooled down, you're not allowed to benefit. That's only because, it's only, I should say it this way, it's only in the event that you had given instructions in the first place where you had violated Allah and instructed the non-Jew to do this malacha. But let's say the non-Jew on his own went ahead and said, I know how much you enjoy chicken soup, and I decided to go ahead and put the chicken soup on the stove for you so that you could have chicken soup before you have your cholent. So, but you never gave him any instructions. Shari lechol tzonin. Then, as long as you wait for the, the soup to cool down, then you'll be allowed to benefit from the soup. You can have the soup on Shabbos. So here, the only restriction is going to be when uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the broader restriction, the more encompassing restriction, is going to be enforced only when you violated Allah and you told him to do the malacha. But in the event he did the malacha of his own, on his own volition, so then, as long as... Uh, the soup cools down, so then it's okay to get benefit from it. Why? Because 
Because once you, as long as you allow the soup to cool down, you're not benefiting from the malacha that he did it all. And and you didn't even want him to heat up the soup in the first place because he's not allowed to heat up the soup for you. So he did it against your wishes. When he did it against your wishes, then it's going to be more lenient in the sense that once you allow the soup to cool down, you can have it on Shabbos. And you don't have to wait until, uh, until, uh, until after Shabbos. And now he throws in a line over here to explain this halacha, which excited me because it dovetails very nicely with what we learned last week. Because if you remember, we talked about last week, the possibility when I put your food under a bed, that I may not be able to answer it because I can't answer something which is not my own. So here the Mishabura uses that same concept. He says, Im came that when the non-Jew took your soup out of the fridge and put it on the stovetop without you asking him to do so, so he doesn't have the ability on his own to go ahead and make your soup usr for you when you never instructed him to do so. So being that he's doing this of his own volition and you never instructed him to do so, we don't give him that much power to usr it. So you're not allowed to benefit from the malacha. So you can't have the soup while it's warm. But as long as you wait until it cools down, so then it's going to be, uh, then it's going to be fine. Okay. So that is um, uh, so that is as far as the issue of benefiting from the malacha once it was done. Now we come to, and this is a, a, a another confusing part of the uh, the equation over here. So here in source seven we have the chayyadam. The chayyadam addresses the issue of whether or not uh, 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 you could hint to the non-Jew that you want the malacha to be done without saying it explicitly. So is hinting something which is going to be allowed, or hinting that you want the malacha as something which is not going to be allowed? So here the Chayyadam goes ahead and lays out a very important, um, uh, a very important and essential principle as far as these halachas are concerned. And he says as follows. He says, this is in the Chayyadam, in Hilchah Shabbos, Klaus Samach Beis, Siv Beis. He says, uh, Even if you don't explicitly instruct the non-Jew to do this malacha, but you go ahead and you use your, your hand to point to something so that he'll understand what exactly it is that you want to be done. Or you use some sort of terminology, some, some sort of wording, which will allow the, un, the, the Gentile to understand your intent without actually having to say it explicitly. Kagon, for example, and I love the, the example which is given over here. So you have a lamp which is burning, an oil lamp which is burning, and obviously there's a wick. And it happens to be that there's a lot of charcoal, or there's a lot of ash at the end of the wick, and all the, the abundance of ash at the end of the wick, so that is now getting in the way of the lamp burning clearly. So it's flickering because you have all of that extra ash which, which is there. So you, because you want to go ahead and you want to learn, you want to prepare dafyomi or study the uh, the parsha. So you go ahead and you want that the non-Jew should go ahead and remove that, that abundance of ash. Now you know you're not allowed to tell him explicitly to do so. Okay, that, would, that would involve asking him to do a malacha. V'amr lo, so what do you say? Go ahead and wipe your nose. 
So by saying to him, wipe, wipe your nose, he says, wipe my nose. Why would I wipe my nose? And now by, by using those words, that's now code for the non-Jew. And now he understands exactly what it is that you want from him, that you want him to go ahead and um, to, uh, to, uh, um, to uh, clear off the ash. So, Aser. So says the Chayadam, this is going to be Aser. So not only are explicit instructions Aser, but even hinting to a Malach is going to be Aser. But the reason why it's going to be Aser is because even though you didn't say clear off the ash, you said wipe your nose. So being that you gave him a direct instruction, so then it's going to be Aser even though it's an instruction which is given in the form of a hint. So that's still going to be Aser. But... But if you go ahead and you want to hint to the non-Jew it, using wording, using a formulation which does not involve an instruction. What's an example of that? You go ahead and you say to him, the, uh, the family room is dark. So you just made a declaration. You just made a statement. You didn't instruct him to do anything. You didn't instruct him to turn on the light. You didn't instruct him to open up his brain. You didn't instruct, give him any instruction whatsoever. You just made a statement that the room is dark. So that is a hint which may be allowed. And similarly, let's say you want to go ahead and you want to read a letter, which currently is an envelope which is closed. So to instruct him to open up the envelope, that's Aser. So you can't give him that instruction directly. So how do you hint in a way which is not an instruction? So you hold up the envelope and you say, I can't read this letter. So again, you didn't give any instruction at all, not instruction directly or even an indirect instruction. You just made a statement. I can't read this letter. And anything which is similar, so that, the Chai Adam says that there's, there's going to be circumstances where that is going to be allowed. We're not going into all of the circumstances where that is allowed, but there's a fundamental difference in terms of hinting to a non-Jew to do a malacha, whether the hint is a hint which involves instruction, a command of a, of a behavior that you want him to do, or whether you are simply declaring, describing a circumstance which you are in without any instructions whatsoever. It will be more lenient when the hint is given in the form of non-instruction, a non-tzivui. Now, let's see how this same halacha is expressed in the Ramah and then in the, in the Mishabura. So he says, says the Ramah, this is in Simon Shin Zion, he says... Anything you're not allowed to instruct the non-Jew to do on Shabbos directly. You're also not allowed to hint to him to do the malacha either. So whatever is Asr to say, you're not allowed to hint either. Now why is that so? So explains the Mishabura, Sivkan Ayin Vav. Mishabura explains, Even uh, giving a hint is also is included in the prohibition of instructing a non-Jew to do malacha. Kevan, Kevan Because what difference does it make whether you say turn on the light, or you speak in Spanish, or you speak in French, or you speak in Abidabi? Either way, uh, or Pig Latin or something like that. 
either way, you're 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 giving him instructions, or you use sign language. So whatever whatever means of communication it is, if it's an effective means of communication for the Gentile to turn on the light, that's usher. And it doesn't have to be, it's not going to be usher only when you go ahead and you tell him directly. And you're also not allowed to say to him something, instruct him in some way, where he's going to know that you want to go ahead and you want him to do malacha, specifically when it's the form of instruction. Now the Mishabura quotes the, the Chayadam's example. And he says, you're not allowed to say to a non-Jew, that you want him to go ahead and to wipe his nose, so that he will understand that you want him to remove the ash at the edge of, at the end of the wick. However, so the same distinction that the Chayada made, but in the event that you give the hint to the non-Jew in a way where it does not contain any instruction at all, not only not, uh, it's not an instruction directly to do malacha, but it's not even instruction uh, indirectly to do the malacha. So, for example, you say the lamp is not producing a good light. So that's just a statement. There's no instruction there at all. You're just making a declaration of fact. Oh, or you say to the non-Jew, you say, I can't read with this lamp where there's so much ash at the end of the wick. So again, it's just a statement of fact. It's not an instruction at all. But, and then the uh, non-Jew hears what you say, and he goes ahead and he fixes it. Shari. Then it is permitted to go ahead and get benefit from that, the Malacha, because, because number one is, you didn't give any explicit instructions the, that he should do malacha, and ve'ein leso mitam shenenem malacha. Now here at the at the rest of the mishnah he addresses another very fundamental, very important point, and that is remember that we're discussing two different things at the same time over here. One is whether or not you're allowed to give the instruction to the non-Jew to do malacha in the first place. So we say that's also whether it's direct, whether it's indirect, as long as there's some sort of instruction regarding malacha, it's going to be aser. Then there's a second iser that we have to we have to uh, we have to deal with, and that is the fact that you're not allowed to get hana, you're not allowed to benefit from the malacha which was done by a non-Jew, even in the event you didn't instruct him to do it. We said that there's going to be an iser to benefit, even if you didn't get the, even if there was no instruction. So we hear. So the Mishabura is wondering, let's say I figure out some way to go ahead and to, uh, to hint to the non-Jew that he should go ahead and do this malacha for me. So Zilzain, I went ahead and I figured that out and I came up with some formulation which is going to be permitted. But the question is why, granted, I don't violate any isser of Amir al-Nachri of instructing him to do malacha in such a case, but how can it be that I'm allowed to benefit from the malacha? We said that even if I don't give him any instructions at all to do malacha, just stam on his own, he decides to do malacha for me. I'm not allowed to benefit from it on Shabbos. So we hear where I say, I hint to the non-Jew. I say, I can't read with so much ash on the end of the wick. The non-Jew says, hmm, 
Okay, I hear that's that's probably very frustrating for you. Let me go here. Let me go ahead and I'll remove some of that the the the, the extra ash at the end of the wick, and then the lamp will produce a better light. And he does so. So I didn't violate the issue of Amir Lanachri, but it should still be Asa because I'm not allowed to benefit from the Malacha which was done. So says the Mishabrua, a Chiddush. It's not a Chiddush per se, but it's it's an important qualification to this Halacha to make him water. And he says, V'ein lesor, this is now with the highlighted section there in source 9. He says, E'en lesor mitam shenen emilacha, sh'asa eni yehudi, bishvilo. Says that it's not, in this case, it's not going to be yasser to benefit from the melacha that the non-Jew did for you. Why? De'en, uh, he says, De'en zehana kokach. Because this is not considered to be a ben, a full benefit. Why? Because it's not as if he turned the lamp on when previously it was off, and the room was dark, and now that he turned on the light, now you're capable of reading. That would actually be us. So then you wouldn't be allowed to benefit from that, even if your instruction was not explicit. It was an indirect hint, and he realized what you wanted from him. That would still be us, because you're not allowed to benefit from the light. The reason why in this case it's going to be mutter is because even if the non-Jew did not touch the lamp at all, the lamp was not so bright. It was dim, but you were still able to read in the room. So all he did was he just made it brighter in the room. So in make going from dim to brighter, that's not considered to be benefiting from the malacha, as opposed to going from dark to light. Going from dark to light that's something where there's an actual benefit. There's a tangible benefit that we could uh, that that uh, that we see over here. And then you're not allowed to benefit from that malacha, even if you never gave him instructions to do so. But if what you're doing is going from dim to brighter, but really you could have read anyways. So then that's not considered to be the isser of benefiting from the malacha which he did, because even if he didn't do the malacha, I could still have the same benefit. I was still able to read. So here's another very important distinction as far as these matters are concerned. And anytime you're, you're thinking about hinting to a non-Jew to do malacha, so this is one of the things that you have to consider, and that is, is the malacha which the non-Jew, go, the non-Jew is about to do, is that going from zero to 60? That without him doing the malacha, I couldn't use the room or I couldn't benefit. And now that he is doing the malacha, so now that makes it something where I have the potential to be able to benefit from it. Or are we going from something that you could have benefited from it anyways, and now you're just getting more benefit? You're going from 30 to 60. But if you're going from 30 to 60 or dim to brighter, so that's something which does not violate this isser of benefiting from malacha. Okay, so that is another very important distinction as far as these matters are concerned. And I'm not sure if we're going to get end up getting through all of the our sources. We may say some of this, uh, you know, continue next week. But in the meantime, so here on source 10. So here also, so we talk about, uh, we'll elaborate a little bit more on the restriction which applies of, uh, against benefiting from the malacha that the non-Jew did, even through after Shabbos. So here in Shin Chav Hei Sivav, Shulchanach says as follows, Im Yisrael. Let's say, a non-Jew went ahead and leaked. He gathered some vegetables out of the garden. So he picked vegetables out of the garden, a malacha. Or he did the malacha of tzad. 
he went ahead and captured something for you, for the benefit of a Jew. Let's say it was Yontif or something like that. Or let's say he went ahead and did the Malacha having Jews and non-Jews in mind. But as long as he did the Malacha partially for the sake of a, non, uh, of a Jew, so the Malacha is, as we said, you're not allowed to benefit from that Malacha on Shabbos. And not only on Shabbos is it going to be a restriction against benefiting from it, but you have to wait even after Shabbos, the amount of time it would take to do the malacha entirely after Shabbos. What does that mean? So the Mishnah Brewer here explains in Sivkat and Chaf Ches, he says, what we mean is, not, not only where the non-Jew did the malacha for Ruvain, that Ruvain's not allowed to benefit from this, whatever malacha was done, but even Shimon is not going to be allowed to benefit from this malacha, even though the malacha was not done for him. It was done for Ruvain, but once a, a once the non-Jew did the malacha for the sake of a Jew, so nobody is allowed to benefit from that on Shabbos. Kavan, Kavan, the Asa, Malacha daraisa bishvil Yisrael, because once a malacha daraisa was done for the sake of a Jew, also lechol lahanos ad motzei Shabbos yasu. So nobody is allowed to benefit from that malacha, not only on Shabbos, but even after Shabbos, the amount of time it would take to do that malacha on Shabbos. Now the Mishabura says, v'lav dafka b'tzad. And this, this restriction that even after Shabbos, you're not allowed to benefit immediately after Shabbos, this isn't something which is unique to the malacha of trapping. The same thing is going to be true regardless of what malacha the non-Jew went ahead and did. Like we said before. So let's say, for example, the non-Jew went ahead and did laundry for you on Shabbos. So he put your clothing, he knows that you go out and you play ball Motsoi Shabbos, and he knows that Erev Shabbos you also play ball. So he said, you know what, let me do you a favor, you shouldn't have to wear the same gym clothes that you wore on Friday, wear them again on Motsoi Shabbos, I'll wash it for you. And he goes ahead and he puts your gym clothes into the washing machine on Shabbos, and then he goes ahead and when the, the cycle is done, he goes ahead and puts your, your uh, wet clothing into the dryer on Shabbos, and now by the time Motsoi Shabbos comes around, so your gym clothes are clean and they are dry. So I cannot go ahead and use that clothing on Motsoi Shabbos. I, before I could use the gym clothing, I have to wait the amount of time it would take to run the washing machine and the dryer before I could go ahead and I could use it. That's what B'Kidesh Yaset means, that the amount of time it would take to do all of these malachas, running a wash and running a drying cycle after Shabbos, I have to wait that amount of time before I could use it, even though it's already clean, it's already dry. But before I could benefit from it, I have to wait that amount of time. And why is that? So we say, Vatam. So Mishabur explains, the reason is, the reason why Chazal answered it this amount of time, even in Timotzoi Shabbos, is because we don't want you to get any benefit from this malacha which was done by the non-Jew on Shabbos. And therefore, if I could use the clean, if you tell me I can't wear the clean clothes just on Shabbos, but I could use it immediately after Shabbos, so then I'm still benefiting from the fact that the malacha was done. I can now go to the gym 
right after Havdalah, rather than having to wait an additional hour and a half before my gym clothes are, are clean and dry again. So the fact that I could go immediately after Havdalah, that's still considered to be benefit from the Malachah, which was done on Shabbos. The Gam, and furthermore, Gazru, the Kishia Mutter Miyad Mosai Shabbos, and part of the, the decree is that in the event we were to say that the gym clothes are permitted immediately after Shabbos, so then our fear is, is that you'll have an incentive to go ahead and instruct the non-Jew to do these malachas on Shabbos, so that immediately after Shabbos you'll be able to benefit from them. So in order to make sure that you have no incentive whatsoever to instruct the non-Jew to do malacha, so uh, we don't allow you or anybody else to benefit from that malacha was done until the amount of time it takes to go ahead and, uh, and do the malacha after Shabbos. So let's say the non-Jew took a brisket and he went ahead and he cooked a brisket for you on Shabbos. So it's ready immediately after Shabbos. So you have to open up the cookbook and you see in the cookbook it says, leave it in the oven at 300 degrees for four hours. So even though the brisket is now fully cooked right after Havdalah, you have to wait four hours before you can have that brisket because you have to wait the amount of time that it would take to do the entire malacha after Shabbos. Rabbi, what happens if I gave the non-Jew instructions to wash my clothes on Monday, but he didn't listen to me and he washed it on Shabbos? What happens then? Um, So then, depending on exactly what type of employee he is, um, uh, it may or may not be, but th- that depends on what type of employee he is, whether he's paid hourly or whether he's paid a fixed sum for, you know, taking care of things in the house. I, I didn't get into the whole issue. Part One of the things which is important to realize uh, as far in terms of understanding the Isra of Amir Lenachri is that there's actually two dimensions of Amir Lenachri. So one is when I, uh, there may be three. One is when I instruct a non-Jew to do malacha on Shabbos and he does it on Shabbos. Number two is I instruct the non-Jew to do, I give the instructions on Shabbos for the malacha to be done after Shabbos. So that's usr, but I'm not, there, there won't be a restriction against benefiting from it, but that's going to be usr because I'm not allowed to give instructions to do malacha on Shabbos to the non-Jew, even though the malacha won't be done till after Shabbos. And then the third thing is, when I go ahead and I give instructions to the non-Jew on Wednesday to do malacha for me on Shabbos. So that also is going to be us. So any one of those is going to be Amir Lenachri, but each variation may have a slightly different, uh, a slightly different halacha. Um, but now, says the Mishabur, one more point, and then we'll, uh, we'll hold it here and we'll pick it up next week, God willing. So here the Mishabura in Reish Ayin Vav tells us a, another important point. So he says that this restriction against benefiting from the Malacha that the non-Jew did, even if uh, even into Motsai Shabbos, that I have to wait after Shabbos the amount of time it takes to do the Malacha. So that's going to be true not only if the non-Jew did an Isidaraisa, do I have to wait after Shabbos this time frame called the Kedesh Yasa, but even if he did an Isidra Banan for the sake of a Jew, so then, then I'm sorry, that, but here there's going to be a little bit more of a leniency. 
So if he did an Isidoraisa, so then not, neither you, the one who the non-Jew had in mind when he did the Malacha, nor anybody else is going to be allowed to benefit on Shabbos or after Shabbos until this duration of time passes, which we call Bekdesha Yasa. But if, with the, if what the non-Jew did is only Asr so he did an Isidra Banan for you, then the person for whom the Malacha was done, they're not allowed to go ahead and get benefit from that on Shabbos. But somebody else, Mutter La'acher, Shalom Nasa Bishvilo. So then if, he did, if the non-Jew did this Isidra Banan on Shabbos for Ruvain, Shimon is going to be allowed to benefit from that. So that's something which is going to be a, a, a leniency which is going to apply. And again, where we differentiate between something which is an Isidoraisa and something which is an Isidorabanan, which is very interesting because it's, it, it, has, it has broad application because many of the electronics which we use are really only Isidorabanan to turn on or to use on Shabbos. Not that I'm trying to promote any sort of leniencies, but, but most electronics we hold is only Asadra to do rather than Isadaraisa, and that's going to be important in terms of, let's say, turning on the light in a room. So since many of our lights, when you turn them on, may uh, uh, depending on your bulb, but maybe an, only an Isadra Banan rather than Isadaraisa, an LED light is an Isadra Banan, as opposed to incandescent bulb, which is an Isadaraisa, so depending on which, which bulb you have in that room, it may be permitted for others to benefit from it, and it may be also. So you have to uh, keep in mind also, in the event that Malacha was done, whether or not you'll be allowed to, whether somebody else will be allowed to benefit from that, uh, that Malacha. Okay, so these are the broad principles which apply to these types of uh, cases. So Mirza Hashem, next week, we will see uh, a number of examples, number of applications of this, and, uh, you know, the different, uh, uh, different applications and the different uh, disagreements which arise about how exactly to apply these halachas uh, lemaisa. All right. Thank you, Rabbi. Right, thank so you, Rabbi. Shkoch to everybody for...